Welcome to the Resilient Mind Podcast, exploring how our thoughts and feelings influence our actions. I am Steve Nathanson, CEO and founder of Strive for More, professional coaching firm, and... I'm Andrew Marangoni, founder and CEO of Steel City Pack Leader. Together, we founded Pittsburgh Pet Care, where coaching and pet care meet. And this is our podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Resilient Mind podcast with Andrew Marangoni and myself, Stephen Nathanson. How are you doing, Andrew? Good. How are you doing, Steve? Good, good. We're going to talk about a great topic today that is one of my top values, health. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because I know we share a lot in common around it. Yeah. I, I mean, you can't, you can't be resilient to the world if you're not healthy. Um, and (laughs) taking care of yourself is basically taking care of the components of your health. Yeah, it's interesting. So one thing that I think I say a lot and I've been told a lot as well is you can't help others until you help yourself. And that's not meant to be selfish, but if I am absolutely drained and tired or um, very distracted and not with it, I'm not going to be there present for my clients to be able to help them successfully, right? And so that's what I mean by that is we have to help ourselves be physically healthy, mentally healthy to be able to support our clients do the same. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about these components of it where we have on the health side, really kind of your nutrition and your fitness. And then on the mental side, your mentality, the mental well-being part of it. Those are the three kind of areas that you and I have talked about that we wanted to dig into broadly today and give folks some good tips and tricks that they can implement in their lives. Yeah, it's something that I've identified over my career that, you know, being ignored caused me not to have the most success in, in some times. My thinking you know, was not always great. My nutrition was not always great. My physical health was not always great. Um, and the, the thing that I've learned is all three of those things are kind of intertwined and interconnected. And all three of those things can be approved upon over time by making good small decisions day in and day out. Um, Back in the early episodes, we talked about limiting thoughts and beliefs. And I think that people get hung up on their, their thoughts around what, how they think and feel and what their, the state of their exercise is versus, or, or their nutrition or their mental health versus what is really the case. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it absolutely does. So let's, let's dig into that. And then as we talk, you know, let's talk about the experiences we've had because I think that's a real world part of this is there's this knowledge or these guidelines that are out there. But I think most importantly, it's how does that apply to me individually as we're all a little bit different, especially with our nutrition needs, our mental needs and the, the exercise needs. So that's, I think is a really good part of this discussion that you're kind of bringing out is how do we really apply this right uniquely to me and make it work for me? Right. And I think, you know, when you are experimenting with any kind of behavioral change, 
um, whether that be your eating or what you do physically throughout the day. Um, I'm going to relate this back to dog training as I normally do. Um, (laughs) But there are some general outlines and processes that if you apply to most dogs or most beings, they have a high percentage of effectiveness. Um, And where you really start to have to seek outside help is when that general information that works for most people is not working for you as an individual. Um, And I think that's when it helps to get some outside perspective of why is what usually works for most not working for me? Mm. Yeah. So that's a great, great question. So let's, let's dig into some of those guidelines and then let's talk about that piece, right? Why is this maybe not working for me and how do I overcome that? I think that's a great, great part of it. So let's, uh, let's start with the physical side of this, the nutrition piece of it, the exercise piece of it. So to your point on guidelines, here are a few standard guidelines for us in terms of our eating. There's macronutrients, there's micronutrients. So your micros, those are all the vitamins, those kind of things that we want to get from our our foods, vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin D, things we can get from the sun as well, right? Uh, But you can ingest stuff through through food. Vitamin C, great example, very common thing that you get a lot from, from orange juice. Those are your micronutrients. Your macronutrients, that's your protein, your carbs, your fats. So rule of thumb, typically, right now, as human beings, we want to get the majority of our food from carbohydrates. We typically want to get about 45 to 65% of our calories in from from carbs. Then we're looking at about, we want 20 to 35% from fat in our diet, and then about 10 to 35% from protein in our diet. And to your point, right, that's a little bit unique for each of us. Some people say, you know, I feel much better physically when I have a higher fat diet. Some people say I have a much better physical reaction when I have a high protein diet. Or for a lot of people right now, right, who can't have gluten, that rules out specific carbs for them. And they've got to find other ways to kind of balance that out. Now, Andrew and I, we're, we're not registered dietitians, so we're not going to sit here and say, hey, you've got to eat exactly this, and here's the, the meal plan you can follow. But we know enough between the two of us to really help kind of explain the generalities of it and then how, to Andrew's earlier point, do I figure out, well, what's maybe not working for me, and then how do I proceed from there, and the resilience to go through that process versus uh, maybe breaking down uh, and not being able to to do it because we're all capable of overcoming those challenges that we that we face in life and that's the point of this podcast right is to help that resiliency so let me let me pause there and kind of throw it back to you andrew that's kind of the general guideline about macronutrients and eating and i know you have a great experience of cooking in your life and i'm curious just uh, to kind of hear your thoughts on on this piece of it well you know that's one of the interesting things is uh, you know, I did have to take nutrition in culinary school. Mm. Um, and it 
I'm not gonna lie. It's a it was a very boring course, and <laughs> it almost it, it almost seemed like hypocrisy to, to for us to learn this because we 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 were low cordon blue. We were French cooking. Like you know, everything is just bathed in butter and cream. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, that's one of the interesting facts about how my my thought processes about food were so messed up is because a i was taught to look at food as an experience Mm. right and i was very emotionally attached to food i uh, i had comfort in it it was my life you know i i gave other people comfort with it you know there was a lot of weird emotions around food and you know that led me to be pretty overweight um and when I started dog walking like I was still overweight but like in my first few years like it was really tough because I was so overweight um and for I, I was still young then so I for many years as getting into a dog walker, I was slowly starting to get a little bit better in shape because I was moving more, but because I still had all those emotional attachments to food, like I still overate and ate really poorly and mismanaged my time and ate at bad times. And all of that basically got me to a point where between not exercising for long enough and eating poorly, like my body was starting to retaliate. And I was getting injured real easy and all kinds of stuff was happening. And I sprained my back and I I was talking to my chiropractor and it basically came down to is you're a weak person. You need to get stronger and you need to lose some weight. You need to, you know, think about your food differently. Yeah. You know, so that was my experience. And what I've learned through that is that, you know, understanding what you're eating is the way to, you know, slowly make habit change. And because I slowly make habit change for my clients and that's what I do for a living, it was easy for me to start doing these things because I understood that behavior change works this way. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's how I was able to do it, but I, I can understand why so many people struggle Right. And, you know, I also know I was even thinking to myself this morning is how many conversations have I had with people that people have had with me where I was thinking like the person who was responding to me this morning and how long did it take me after having that conversation and how many experiences until I changed my line of thinking. Um, And, you know, there's no really set way in any of this right so one of the things that I kind of kind of come to realize is that we we need to be confident in what we're doing and and be open to new information and base that off of some opportunity of giving it a chance before we just say nope that doesn't work yeah and and that's that's actually a really really fair point and there's a there's a number of very good things that you brought out in this. And I want to just kind of revisit real quickly your point on, you were taught about the experience of food, right? As a chef, you want your 
clients to not only enjoy the food, but they want it, you want the experience to be a good one for them. And what that brought up for me was there's a lot of people in this country who love food, myself included. I love food. Uh, I love creme brulee as a dessert. I love macaroons. They're not the healthiest things for me, but I enjoy the experience of, of eating them. And a lot of folks will eat food because they're, they're foodies. They truly enjoy it. They, they love that experience. Um, and then other people just, you know what? I don't necessarily need to be foodie, but I eat this because it, it tastes good. We don't typically think about, well, what's in it? What's the percentage of fat? What's the percentage of carbs? What's the percentage of protein? And we don't necessarily balance out our day-to-day -day meals by the recommended guidelines or even know those, right? Hence kind of why we've, we've brought those out here today about the different percentages that we should have in our diet for these macronutrients. Unless maybe I've been told, I've gone through nutrition, I've sought this out at say myplate.gov, I haven't really looked into this yet. And because of that, we may be out of whack and we may feel some deficiencies. We may be more tired. Uh, we don't have as much energy. Not getting in all of our nutrients or our nutrients being out of balance can manifest itself physically in that way. And then I think you brought up another great point about the mentality of it because of maybe your mentality and your approach to food from culinary school like you said you enjoyed it maybe you got a little bit overweight at that point you didn't touch upon this specifically but what my mind went to was that can have a toll on us mentally because whether we want it to exist or not the fact that it does exist is very true and unfortunate that body shaming happens in this country People are shamed for what they look like. People are shown through media and our culture that they're supposed to look a different way. And if I don't look that way, maybe I am overweight, I can feel very bad about myself. And that can play into us not necessarily solving the problem. It could cause us to shut down, retreat, and not necessarily help us actually say, overcome that should i want to lose weight should i want to get into a better spot so I, there was a mental piece of this that you brought out that i thought was important to highlight real quick right and you know the there's the opposite of that too which is is, is it causes me to dig in deeper it's just exactly. like well i'm i'm a fat guy and i'm proud to be a fat guy and i'm not gonna change go f yourself right you know and like you know, that's a defense mechanism, right? Like, it is, yep. let's be honest. It, that's, that's, that's me trying to defend my and preserve my, my mental, um, how I feel about myself, my esteem. It's me trying to keep my esteem intact, right? right. Is I'm trying to overcome that and be defensive about it, but that's not helping me. Right. And the problem isn't that I'm, that I don't look good. The problem is, is that I'm unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Right. Because having extra weight on our bodies does have negative detrimental effects upon us, right? It could cause, say, diabetes. It can cause stress on our joints. It can cause chronic conditions, comorbidities that put us at risk. And in fact, you see that right now with what's going on in the pandemic is 
being overweight leads to certain risks that make it easier for me to have a stronger adverse reaction should I catch COVID. So in the heart of this conversation, to your point about what's best for me is, that's the question for us to ask. What is truly what I want to be for me? And what is that thing that is the best for me? And how do I manifest that? So in terms of food, we've talked about these percentages. So let's talk about that just a little bit more deeply and help people make this educated choice should they want to, to do that. So when we talk about carbs, there's two different kinds of carbs. There's complex carbs, there's simple carbs. And I'm kind of just boiling this, this down very um, kind of simply. But the complex carbs are ones that are actually easier for us to break down. Those are typically your whole grain type of carbs. The simple carbs are harder for our bodies to break down. Those are like the white bread, the pizza dough type of carbs. So making a choice between say wheat, if I'm not a celiac and I actually can eat that, is healthier for us because it's easier for our bodies to break that down versus say simple carbs that become easier for our bodies to store that as excess fat should we not be able to break that down and not utilize that as, as energy. So it's those kind of choices that we can make. When it comes to fats, there's fats that are good for us. So salmon is actually full of like omega-3 fatty acids, and those are good for us. Those types of things in the right proportion are actually healthy for us to have in our diet versus the uh, type of fats that we typically get in a lot of sweets, right? Those are the things that we want to avoid having a massive amount because they're not as healthy for us as some of these other fats are. I mean, just or, simply put, it or deep, good, fried, <laughs> deep fried white bread coating. Right, right. Donuts. Uh, <laughs> right. And, and you actually see this on the back of, uh, of food labels. So I'm, I'm not staring at one right now, but you'll see like your trans fats, you'll see your saturated fats, you'll see uh, that broken out there for you. So you can see the difference of what's being held. And actually, importantly, too, you're also going to see sugar and then included added sugars in there. So if I have, say, 30 grams of sugar and it's all added sugar, that's probably going to be processed sugar that's added versus maybe natural sugar we would get from, say, fruit or something of that nature. So a little bit of what's really in the food that I'm eating, if I take a look at that label and I see what's in there, it's an easier choice for me now to decide to buy that or not. And it's easier to control what we cook at home versus what we eat out. So that's just kind of a, a brief part of it. And I can dive into it a little bit further if you, if you think I should on any of that. But let me turn it back over to you, Andrew. And again, kind of pick your, your cook brain and your experiences. You know, what, what comes to mind for you? Um, as far as what exactly? I, because I, <laughs> you, you were talking about calorie counts and, or uh, the difference in, in carbs and, and what was the specific question about what you were talking about, maybe? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Good, fair, fair question. So, yeah, let me, like, let me back up and take a second and then I'll, I'll kind of 
ask you a question there, I think is. Okay. So one thing I, I did that hit my mind while you were talking that I could, we, I could bring up is I think one of the important things is, is to remember that almost everything done in access can be bad for you mm -hmm. and almost anything can be okay for you in moderation. Great point. Right. So I think one of the things where people really fail with their diet is not setting smart goals and not being specific about or realistic about what they're trying to do. Right. Is you have all those crazy, like, Oh, just drink two, two slim fast a day and then have a sensible dinner and you have this body in five days. Not realistic. <laughs> not true. <laughs> you know, and What's the other that, thing, <laughs> the other thing that I have, fully come to realize is that there are two components to body like health and exercise and nutrition and that is is that the more you exercise the more nutrition your body needs right so you can actually uptake your in food take um and but at the end of the day like your weight loss is more about your nutrition and what your body looks like is more about your physicality and, and your exercise. Like, you I, know. I wouldn't necessarily say that. I would, I would, I would say they go hand in hand. Cause it, so I guess here's, here's why maybe I would put, put that out is there's, definitely food that helps you fuel property to maximize being prepared for a workout and then recovering from from a workout and depending on what you're doing exercise wise there's different things that are going to happen in your body you may burn more carbs you may burn more fat you may be growing muscle for strength and power and bulk versus tone right so it just depends and i think it comes in combination of what your focus uh, is on for each so i'll, I'll say this if, in bodybuilding if they're going to do a build phase they're going to eat a ton of calories they're going to they're going to match what they need and really bulk up and then if they're going to go into competitions they'll go into a lean phase or a cutting phase where their diet and their exercise are going to be focused on creating lean and tone. So I think that they go um, hand in hand versus one way or the other. Right. So they totally go hand in hand. But what I was kind of alluding to is that, you know, some people think that you can lose a lot of weight just by exercising and not changing your diet Got it. or yeah. by just dieting and not exercising. Yeah. I guess that's what I was trying to get to is that it's best to do both Yeah, and understand what you're doing with both. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Very, very, very fair. So because now we're getting into the calorie side of it, let's, let's dive into that. So we, we put out kind of these general guidelines of different foods. We've given you just a brief kind of illustration of, healthier choices, right? Omega-3 versus bad trans, trans fats um, or saturated fats and wheat carbs versus 
quite great carbs. Just some general rules of thumb there. In terms of the calories, typically it's about men, uh, adult men, about 2,000 calories a day. Adult women, I think it's around 1,800 calories a day, typically. But it's a question to your very initial part of this, Andrew, is that's all you need to meet. I may be 2,100 calories a day. I may be 2,800 or 3,000 calories a day. Uh, or I may be 1,800, I may be 1,500. So it's kind of figuring out what's the right amount of calories that is what my body actually needs. And then if we're exercise, oh, go ahead. I was going to say is, so <clears throat> what you're referring to is your, what your body burns on a natural day, right? Is, is what you're really trying to, the average human male burns about 2000 calories existing, right? Right. Uh, well, yeah. Existing in whatever activity they do on that, on that day. Yeah. yeah. Right. But like, if you are, you know, severely exercising that highly raises that calorie burn throughout the day. And that's one of the ways that you are using your nutrition and your exercising to work is to, you know, basically create a, a negative calorie for, for burning fat. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, you know, example, I think I may burn maybe 3000 calories yesterday, depending. So I have a, I have a Garmin watch and it gives me an estimate, which is great. Cause it's just an estimate. They're based upon studies and curves and, and, and fit my, my information to that. So even with that kind of benchmark, it's still up for me to really see how far off or accurate that is for me kind of even on that day and watching it. But yes, to your point, so let's, let's just go with 2000 calories a day as a, as an example, cause it's a nice round number. If I want to lose weight, whether it's through additional exercise or eating less, I need to create a calorie deficit, right? So I need to eat less calories than my body's actually burning. For safe weight loss, typically one to two pounds a week of weight loss is safe and sustainable. You can absolutely lose more weight than that a week, but if you wanna talk about true behavior change, truly getting that weight off, and keeping it off, one to two pounds a week is where we really want to be. So how do we do that? One pound of fat has 3,500 calories in it. So if we average that out of over seven days, we need to have a deficit of 500 calories. If we were gonna lose two pounds, we double that. We want a thousand calorie deficit. Now the important thing here is we don't wanna dip below a certain level of calories for us, right? We don't want to just eat 400 calories a day. That's that's not good. We need kind of sustainable information there. So typically I would say really not dipping, depending on who we are, it's about probably 1,200 to 1,500 calories a day. We don't, I think, really want to dip below that. And that's kind of a rough estimate for us. But in order to create this deficit, we can eat less and not increase exercise, or we could increase exercise, but just not eat more, or we could do both. I could exercise for say 30 minutes a day, burn more calories, and maybe eat a little bit less that day to get that 500 calorie deficit, multiple different ways of, of doing that. One thing I'll throw out there though is 
if we're going to do something like this, I think it's a good understanding to have before we begin of what is recommended exercise wise if say I don't currently exercise. So before maybe I turn this back to you for a second, Andrew, what I wanted to do is at least throw out the, the kind of standard guidelines in this country. And that's typically 150 minutes of moderate physical activity a week or 75 minutes of vigorous activity coupled with two days of resistance training. So that's weightlifting or working with resistance bands. So the 150 minutes, if we say do 30 minutes for five days throughout the week, we get 150 minutes and that can be walking. So there's only one study that actually su supports this that I've seen about, oh, 10,000 steps a day typically would get somebody around that, you know, 30 minutes of, of exercise a day of a moderate nature to get them to that 150 minutes. There's only one study actually that supports that, but that's become a big common craze in this country is to get your 10,000 steps in a day. That's where that comes from. Vigorous, right, was I'm huffing and puffing, I'm sweating. Right? So I'm not just kind of walking at a moderate or a brisk pace. I am, I'm huffing and puffing. I'm working out. That can account for 75 minutes, right? So that would only be, say, 15 minutes, five times a week. So that's a general rule of thumb. And then resistance training is that weightlifting, like I'm doing curls for biceps, maybe shoulder press for shoulders, push-ups for my chest muscles, uh, seated rows for, for my back muscles, squats for my legs, those kinds of things. It's good to do that about twice a week. So those are the general guidelines. So let me stop pausing and, uh, and turn it back to you for the moment and see just what's coming up for you. Yeah, those, those are pretty good guidelines. I, uh, you know, there, there, there's some good information on YouTube, but like, you can also go I would always say, like, talk to your doctor if you are unsure of your physicality and you want to start exercising is work with a professional to make sure you're doing it safely. Um, but anything, anytime you're going to change behavior, take it easy. Um, small changes done consistently over time is much more effective than big changes. Yeah. Um, in a short period of time. Um, yeah. You know, that, I mean, that's, that's pretty much what I have to say about that. Like you covered, <laughs> you covered everything really well. Um, well, the, let me maybe echo something real quick that you, you brought up is it's a great point is if I am sedentary, right. If meaning I just haven't really exercised at all for, for years, or maybe I'm starting to explore, how do I even start doing this? I don't feel comfortable going to a gym. I don't want to be exposed to that, or I don't even know if I should. You're, you're right. I think talking to your doctor about what they recommend, especially if you maybe are diabetic or you have some type of issues or arthritis, that's, that's a great place to start. And then what they can do is they can give you kind of general guidelines or approval and of yes, you should start working this, or this is what I would kind of recommend. But you can work with health coaches, you can work with dietitians, you can work with personal trainers, train professionals in each area. Uh, one thing that I'll put out there for 
our sake, uh, and we can follow up on this later. And I think uh, what we'll we'll actually follow up with with this a little bit more detail. But I'm a I'm a personal trainer. I'm a health coach, fitness nutrition specialist, weight management specialist, behavior change specialist, functional movement specialist. I've got a lot of uh, education and knowledge in this space and how to apply it. Uh, so we can talk later on a little bit more deeply about how do we actually give you some kind of safe guidelines and recommendations to start creating your own exercise program, recognizing that it is always beneficial to work with someone who you're going to sit down and talk with and it will customize and individualize your plan and not just be some stock program that you find online that may help for a little bit, but doesn't necessarily meet your individual specific needs. So I just wanted to bring that out because I thought you had a wonderful point about talking to trained professionals in this arena, should you want to explore it. Yeah, no, I, I, I always, I want people to trust people who have taken the time to gain expertise in things. Yeah. I, uh, I, don't like that the average person doesn't trust an expert of their field anymore because they read on Wikipedia something different mm. <laughs> or, or even even worse something you know not even as valid as Wikipedia <laughs> well you know it's interesting is to your point you can find something out there to support any viewpoint on the internet and I think what I have to say about that is you're right. There's people who are trained who can really help, but not everyone is trained equally, but not everyone is an equal practitioner. So it's important for you to, in my opinion, connect with your trainer, your health coach, your regular coach, your doctor, whomever it is that's going to be helping you making sure that they really resonate with you and that's a good strong relationship and you like that person and they do have your best interest at heart and that's something we can control i can say you know what i don't feel like you have my best interest at heart or you just sit there and you scream at me and that's not conducive so mr personal trainer i'm not going to use you anymore i'm going to find someone different and that's okay to do but there are people out there with the training to help and I love where you brought this because it naturally segues into the mentality of it. Cause I think another part coupled with the internet piece is that we expect things to happen instantaneously and they just don't, especially when we talk about weight loss and physicality and even our mental game, they don't shift instantaneously overnight. So if I expect someone to fix me and I don't feel like I'm seeing results in two days, and I quit, that's, that's on me because I've expected too much. And I think that understanding of how long it does take, and it is a journey and a continual small step journey that does get us there is important to, to talk about. Right. You know, and <laughs> it, it's funny because the, as a dog trainer, I feel like the majority of what my work really is, is managing expectations because like how dog training would work, you know, there are exercises I'm giving you. And like, if you go to a personal trainer, you'd meet with them three times a week. Um, now, you know, 
you should probably meet with your dog trainer three times a week, but that probably isn't conducive to your budget. But the important thing is to remember is what I showed you in that first session, you know, just like that personal trainer, you didn't become, you didn't lose weight and you didn't become strong in that session. You learned the process of getting there. You have to keep repeating the process. And that process almost never ends because if you stay to that process, you're always going to want to get a little bit stronger or a little bit healthier because it gets motivating over time and it gets tied into your mentality and you can see everything being different. Um, You know, the beginning of any process is there are some things that move very fast, but the end results come much further down the road. You you know, you can gain some information and insight and process and do it, but it has to be consistent over time to gain that final or at least that stage of process conclusion. And that's where having somebody help you that it's a trained professional can come into play because they will help hold you accountable during the time that you have with them, whether it's in session, whether it's out of session, what you've done in between, those are things that they can help inherently create for you. I know a lot of people that I work with, they, they think about, you know, I don't want to disappoint Steve. I said, I'm going to get this done. So I want to get this done before our, our time together. Or if when I was personal training, you know what, they're going to come and see that I haven't done anything in between and it's only our, our sessions. Now, there are some people who just rely on the time that we have together and you can make progress. But to your point, the magic really happens when we're not in session. You work on what we've talked about. You digest the mentality of it and you fully go through that process yourself and you start building small wins that create confidence. I am capable of doing this. And let's talk about that just briefly for a second. One of the things that helps mentally do that is if I have a goal of losing 50 pounds, that can seem overwhelming and too big. So what if I just say, I want to lose one pound. I want to start with one. That's a lot easier than 50. And can I give myself the permission to lose that over the appropriate amount of time, say a week? versus tomorrow? Am I measuring myself on a scale in my weight every single morning and I'm seeing no shift? Or am I going to do it, say, when I start and then a week later and see where I'm at? Because if I do it every week, or excuse me, if I do it every day, I can get into my head. I may not see a shift and it may depend on What time of day? Am I doing it at the exact same time of day? Did I eat a lot before I went to bed? So I I don't see a difference, but maybe later in the day I burn more often. So I actually am losing weight. These are the kind of things that can come into play. And if I am too obsessed with it too much into the data and always taking these measurements, I'm going to see smaller shifts or fluctuations that can play with my mind instead of allowing me to actually give myself the permission that it's okay to take time to lose one pound over a week. And I'm going to measure when I start on Monday and then I'm going to measure the following Monday and I'm going to see that pound come off versus 
maybe I'm measuring it Monday, then Monday afternoon, then Tuesday morning, then Tuesday afternoon, and I'm not seeing enough that doesn't give me the confidence that I'm actually working. So that's one part of it. Yeah, I, uh, so it is a mental game and you have to make a shift. Um, I always try to explain to people, they're like, man, like, how, how did you accomplish losing all that weight and keeping it off? And I was like, well, number one, because I knew that it was going to be a behavior change and I'm, you know, already pretty read up in making behavioral changes. I just needed to have the right information and be in a place where I can accept that this was the action I, I had to take. Yeah. Um, and the second part was, is what were my goals? They were not to lose 45 pounds they were not to have a you know six-pack ab body it was to lose weight to feel better and to not be in pain and having those goals was much easier for me to stay conducive because you know six-pack abs are really hard to to bring out now am i strong there do i look good there yes but I'm not making the nutritional sacrifices that I, I need to make to, to do that. But I'm okay with that because my goal was to have less pain and I have significantly less pain and, you know, I'm healthier. I breathe better. I sweat less. Like there are all these other things that were great, you know, but again, it was never about like looking better. It was about being healthier and that part, that shift is, I think, an important part is regardless of, oh, I'm not there yet. Are you getting there? Are you feeling better? You know, and as you go down the road, there's a saying, it's like you quit now, you'll be begging to get where you're at now, right? Is how much work have you done, right? just to get here if you stop now you're gonna have to start all over again some other time because at some point all this will catch up to you yeah no and and it's true and one of the things in your real world experience with this is you focus very much on what you truly wanted to happen the outcomes the importance the benefit the value however you want to describe it you were solution focused we talked about that way back in mindset versus the problem focus. So knowing what this is going to create for you, the positives that's going to come from it, they're strong drivers and motivators. And that would help me put that bag of chip down at night, not eat the entire thing of Oreos in one go. Knowing what's in it for me, simply put, helps my mentality to actually successfully take these actions of what am I eating? Am I exercising enough? Am I taking it in small chunks to help me be successful in doing it? And it is a mindset, mindset shift that does happen, which, you know, maybe it's not quite there yet, but that's okay because one day it's going to flip. It's going to be like a light bulb went off and you're going to truly be ready to go on that journey. And that mentality is what's going to help you get there. Right. And, you know, there are lots of different ways of thinking about it. 
but I like this analogy is if you had a, a big tree in your backyard that needed to come down and, you know, let's say tree companies don't exist and you have to chop this tree down, you know, it's a, it's a big job, but you have time. If you just go and work daily, taking a few chops, eventually that tree will come down. But if you go attack it and, you know, go at it in one session, you may hurt yourself severely and then put, put it off. And it takes even longer to get there. Right. You know, is it's okay to just take little small progressions moving forward. Um, almost everything that I've accomplished in the last four years have used this um, because that's how behavior gets strengthened is it is slow, tangible movements throughout the day. And we've said that phrase on this show probably a dozen times because it, there is truth to that. There is a proven system of moving forward is always moving forward. It's not always pretty. It's not always easy. But if you say, I took steps today, you took steps today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and simply put, right, if I believe I can do something, I can't. If I believe I can't do something, guess what? I can't do it. And, and it's an important part of where is our mindset at? And how do we harness that first so we can take these successful actions and put into play what you and I have spoken about today. Right. And, you know, I think the important thing is, is to get the understanding of goals looking like um, checkpoints and not finish lines. Mm. Um, as I got here, you know, but there's still more race to run. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I like that. So let's, let's kind of recap this and I'm going to recap this actually in a backwards fashion in, in a way that maybe kind of is more natural to the actual process of this. So we ended up talking about mentality last, but I'm going to talk about that first. The mental outlook is going to be huge because if I want to get healthier in my life and I'm sitting here and say, it's never going to happen. You're right. It's never going to happen. So unless I address that mentality first, I won't take successful actions. So can I give myself the permission to give it a try, to take it one small step at a time, to look at this as parts of a race, right? As not finish lines, but milestones that I'm hitting and will continue to hit. Can I do that first? Can I give myself permission to be okay with taking the time I want because I know the true value and benefit that this is going to have for me on my health, not only physically, but also mentally. Once I can do that, then we're ready to start putting to play these other things we've talked about. What does my nutrition look like? What does my exercise look like? Where do I start? If someone says, you know what, Steve, I want to run a 5k and they've never run in their life, I'm not going to say, okay, I want you to run three times a week and do this. I'm not going to do that. What I'm simply going to say is I would love for us to get up to running 20 to 30 minutes continually 
two times a week to start with. So once this week, let's go out and let's see what we can do. Now let's give it a couple days and kind of repeat. And we will build up to that 20, that 30 minutes. It just depends on where people are. So taking that one step at a time. So what is the right level of activity for me to start engaging? And then I can look at the nutrition side as well. Am I just eating whatever I want without thinking about what nutrients I'm getting? Am I nutrient deficient? Am I getting too much fat and not enough protein? Am I losing out on my micronutrients, right? Do I get enough vitamins in naturally a day? How do I supplement that? Those are the questions that we can ask once we've addressed this, this mental game and saying, am I getting enough physical exercise and activity that's recommended by the guidelines? Am I eating within the guidelines as well? And how do I make small shifts in each of those that aren't too overwhelming and too much at once to hit these goals that I have? Yeah, that's very well put. Um, I lost my train of thought. Nope. I'm just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Um, I, I thank you for sharing your experiences with people. And so maybe I'll, I'll kind of share one with the folks right now as well that, that I've gone through is, you know, I didn't used to have all this knowledge. I didn't have the understanding that I do now. And I've tried different things in my life to, to look the way I wanted to look. So I do remember that I, so with where I'm currently at, I would say I was probably about 14 pounds lighter than what I'm currently at now is the lowest I got down to, but I looked really emaciated and skinny. My clothes didn't fit. People made, made comments. And the thing about it too, is I was cutting way too many calories and I was definitely more irritable, <laughs> you know, than I, than I typically am because I was cutting too much. My body demanded more and it made me very, yeah, just irritable is the best word for it on a, on a daily basis because I wasn't fueling myself enough. During that time, I would also kind of binge eat on the weekends, right? I could lose five pounds during the week and then I would eat a ton of uh, Reese's peanut butter cups on the weekend because my body just craved fuel. I was putting it in starvation mode. So I've learned through my experiences of what's the right way to do it and what's the wrong way to do it. And I've definitely bounced back to where I was before I started those journeys because I did it the wrong way. And now that I compete the way that I compete, it's much easier because I fuel not to cut weight. I, I mean, I've, I've done that and there's certain times that that would be beneficial, but I really fuel for performance. I try to maximize what my body's getting with the amount of activity that I'm doing and the right time of type of foods to actually truly fuel me so that I am energetic throughout the day to do it. But I had to go through these experiences of doing it wrong <laughs> to really get to where I am now and want to learn and want to do this right and elicit help from folks to, to do that who know better than so I wanted to share that with people. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it, it helped me get back to my train of thought is here, here, here are some life hacks for you is if you are trying to avoid certain foods, don't buy them. 
it's yeah. much easier to make that choice than it is to avoid them at home. Right. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, like yeah. behavioral management is such a un underutilized tool, which is basically is don't put yourself in circumstances where your behavior can be affected by a lack of willpower. <laughs> um, that's why when you have a puppy, it's best to put them in places where they can't get into anything because no matter what anyone believes, puppies don't know that they're not supposed to chew everything. They right. expect to chew everything. So the best way to stop puppies from chewing everything is to not let have things for the puppy to chew. Same thing goes, if you cannot see a sleeve of Oreos and eat the whole thing, do not put them in your house. Yeah. Um, it's, those are the types of things that you need to, um, incorporate if you're going to be successful is learning the little secrets of, you know, bringing all those things together. <laughs> well, yeah. Why do you think I don't buy chocolate anymore? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, yep. It's, it's that much easier. And, you know, if you have it around, even if you're like, I, I'm going to use it as a reward, um, that's going to backfire more than likely is yeah. it's going to be a reward one day until you have no willpower. And then it's going to be a distraction detriment, you know, Oh, and then a mental beat up the next day. Why did I do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, um, it's, it's a very good point. It's, and it depends on what the draw is or that that food is right because it's it's easier said than than done to do that but you have a very valid point right there's going to come a point where i'm at that store and i have that decision to make of do i want to put this in my cart or not and knowing the benefit of say not putting it in your cart and replacing it maybe with something that's healthier if we're talking about say oreos um we can make that choice or we, we don't replace it at all, but it's easier to make that choice and not put ourselves in that situation than it is trying to eat less of it at night. But that's one way to do it. Let's say you still have Oreos in your house. One potential way of doing this is take the Oreos out of your uh, Oreo sleeve or the, the packaging it came in and divvy them up into smaller portions in baggies. And then you can say, okay, instead of eating the entire thing of Oreos, tonight I'm having two baggies or one baggies. There's ways of appropriately proportioning it. If you're going to go through this route, there's still that danger of maybe I'm just going to go back and get more baggies. So you can elicit help from people in your household to help hold you accountable as well. Because once I state a goal out loud to somebody, it becomes a little bit more real. So that's just another life hack for you, should you want. And you, there's such validity to that. And there was a experiment done about habits. And this is really interesting. And it's about food. Um, so people who habitually eat popcorn in the movie theater versus people who do not, right, are sent into a movie theater with bad popcorn like it's just been stale it's not fresh it's not good the people who habitually eat popcorn still ate it they didn't like it but they still ate it the people who did not didn't eat it they're like this popcorn's no good so that is a moment where your habit overrides even your your pleasure sense 
mm. right? Is I'm so ingrained in doing this. So then what they did is they challenged people who were right-handed to eat with their left hand and left-handed people to eat with their right hand and did the same thing. And same results, except for the habitual eaters had a significantly reduced amount of people eating the popcorn. So what you were saying about um, putting them in baggies, even if you go back for more baggies, it is causing more friction than having the whole sleeve. Mm. So even if you do go back for more baggies, it's giving you the opportunity to make the choice again, instead of habitually just going down the sleeve with mindlessly. So there's that added component to it is putting them in baggies gives you a little bit more friction into the habit of devouring the sleeve. Yeah. And I love the popcorn example because I actually just ate popcorn last night. And what's fresh in my mind is I actually have a popcorn maker. So I buy popcorn kernels versus bagged popcorn. And I do that because and I do want to say that my, my popcorn maker was really inexpensive. I want to say it was somewhere between 10, 15 bucks, maybe 19 bucks at the most, but it was a very inexpensive purchase. And I think I've already paid for it by the kernels I bought versus say the bag popcorn. But here's why I did it. I want more control over my food and what's in it. So by having a popcorn maker and making my own popcorn, I can control, is there a ton of butter on there? Is there not? Do I use olive oil instead? How much olive oil do I put on it? Because we don't want to, you know, massive amount of it. Do I put salt? Do I put pepper? I can control what seasoning is on that popcorn versus some of the stuff that we get from the pre-made bags that you pop in the microwave. And I can make a healthier decision. So that's another thing. We can control what we eat depending on how we make it or buy it. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I think this was a really good episode and we covered a lot. And uh, we want to thank everyone for, for staying tuned to the end. Drop us, a, drop us a line. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Um, you know, until then, stay resilient. If you enjoyed this podcast, please show your support by subscribing. If you would like more information on coaching, look at striveformore.com to find Steve's business, or you can look for pet care options at pittsburghpetcare.com. If you'd like to email us, you can email us at contact at pittsburghpetcare.com. See you next time.